So at about the time of Zechariah's prophecy, he's the one who's quoted in this morning's scriptures, Israel was literally surrounded by wars. Most notably, the warring was taking place between the Macedonians and the followers of Alexander. A biblical commentator, Matthew Perry, talks about Israel. He puts it this way. He said, God's house lay in the midst of an enemy's country. God's church was like the lily among the thorns. But not to, not to worry. Not to worry is Ezekiel's, Zechariah's message this morning. Because what he's saying, Zechariah, is that God has promised to protect Israel. More so, the Messiah, the King of all, is on his way. And it is from that place of hope and expectation that Zechariah bursts forth with the joyful verses we read in this morning's account from John. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Yes, the king of Israel. Jesus got a young donkey and he rode it. It was just as the scripture had it. No fear. <clears throat> Sorry, no fear, daughter Zion. See how your king comes riding on a donkey, on a colt. And daughter Zion, by the way, in this reading refers to Israel. Thank you, Gary. Anybody like so? Okay. Now, we are told that the disciples of Jesus did not remember this particular scripture at the time of Jesus' joyful entry into Jerusalem. We know that prophets basically earn their medal, as prophets go, long after they have left. And the events that unfold are remembered and compared to scripture and then somebody will say, wait a minute, this is what so-and-so said. It was true. He was, she was a prophet. And so on that day, we don't really know if the disciples have figured it out. In fact, the scriptures say they hadn't. We're not really sure, in fact, what Jesus thought on that day. You know, we have limited access to what Jesus actually said in the Bible. Very little of what he said is considered the exact things he said. Nothing of what he might have written is available to us. And we certainly have no idea, really, what he thought. We rely on what others who have written about Jesus tell us. That includes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we do our best, the best that we can, so that when we explore the scriptures, when we read them together, when we listen to folk talk about them, we explore what is in our own hearts, and we try and bring it together in some way. I've said here before about my professor in seminary, who used to always say, when you read the Bible, remember it reads you. There is an exchange that takes place in these readings. There is something of God. However you know God that happens when we come into that place inside and we try and understand 
what this is about. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And that's not easy. It really isn't when you think about it because we haven't been taught to really take serious consideration for what we might think about the Gospels to even be possible. I don't know about you. I was brought up, here it is. Here's the 100 catechism questions. Memorize them. Those are the answers. Nothing else. But you know, as you study the Gospels, you realize that there are variations. And we have to take them into consideration. And this morning's Gospels are no exception. The story of entering into Jerusalem. For example, did you know that John is the only one of the Gospel writers that talks about these? Only the Palms are in John's account of Jesus' entering into Jerusalem. Now he was writing in about 90 AD, so he was the last of the writers of the Gospels. A whole different time from when Mark and Matthew and Luke wrote theirs. Matthew and Mark refer to leafy branches being placed down. And in Mark, actually in Luke, only Luke talks about people laying cloaks on, cloaks, clothing on the ground. And the references to the donkey, one of the gospel writers has two donkeys, a colt and a donkey. The other two have just a donkey. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Talk about Jesus sending his disciples to go get one from the master of a house and untie it and bring it. John just says he was on a donkey. Was it there? Was it not? Did they get it? Did they not? Does this mean that it's not true, that it was fabricated, that it was made up? No. No, but we also know that these Gospels were never intended to be factual, historical documents. It was not their purpose. It continues not to be their purpose. And as far as what they mean a lot of the times, it's pretty hard to tell. Now there is historical and archeological data from other sources that do give a possible explanation for why the palms existed in John's gospel. We do know that the palms were sometimes minted. The Jews would mint palms on the backside of the coins, the money they used. Now, because they were part of the Roman Empire, one side required that they had the image of Caesar. But the palms on the back were considered to be subversive. The connections with these palms is that they were used during the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is another major feast of the Jewish tradition. And it, during a part of that worship called the Hallel, that every time the word Hosanna was said, that the male worshipers would hold up a, um, a group of willow mitle, like the willow branches, that would be wrapped in palms. And when they would wave this and say Hosanna, what they were saying basically is salvation now. Now. Get us away from these Romans, from this oppression. God is our salvation, not these people who are oppressing us. Hosanna, Hosanna. So it is thought that the palms in John's text would be understood during a period of time right after the Jewish wars and the demolition of the temple in 67 to 70 AD. John likely lived through much of this. And all of the things that followed 
by the Romans and the oppression. So the palms in the subtext of this narrative being spoken by John in an attempt to prove to the Jewish Christians who were being pulled in many directions that this was in fact Jesus, this was in fact the Messiah, that he is in fact the one who these palms are laid down for. He is the one from whom this oppression will finally come to an end. He is the one. It was all part of John's language, all part of his reason for writing. So, in short, the Gospels were written for the times in which they were written. They reflected upon the life of Jesus during their times. And it is why it is so critical to try and understand and to feel free, be given permission to try and understand the surroundings, the geopolitical situation, the socioeconomic conditions, the culture, the four languages that were spoken, Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, that were intermingled in their daily language that had different meanings and connotations and found their way into the translations of the texts. Now, that just says, open your heart to me. That just says, hey, if, if you're hearing something as you read this, listen to it. Don't push it aside. Join with others. Talk about it. It's what Lectio Divina is on Wednesday mornings, that time of reflection, of picking things out of the text that speak to us, or as Annie says, to our psyche. And to be given permission to do that, because we are in an exchange with God here. This is an interaction. This is not a transaction. Here's your palm, have a nice day. That's not what this is about. Now, for many of us, and there are different traditions here, and everybody is welcome here, but for many of us, Jesus is divine. For many of us, just as Jesus is divine, a lot of us believe so are we divine. Perhaps there's some difference in degrees in the ways we understand that. But nonetheless, I think we're all divine. Now, scriptures have Jesus referring to God as Abba and to Father, and they use that language. And as I said before, we use the language of Mother God and Sister God and Creator God, all meaning the same thing. But it is true that by our actions and the names we choose, we express the same relationship with God in our way that Jesus expressed with God in his way. We say creator God should be, could be, is, as close as when Jesus said Abba, Father. That these names we use to refer to God put us in that same relationship with God that Jesus had if by varying degrees. And in the same way that the gospel then was written, so too is the gospel now. Sure, we take a look at all of the difference to try and understand, but the meaning of the gospels then in those socioeconomic, political, and all those other conditions had meaning just as the gospel has now. And there are different translations always being written to try and help us to see the gospel, to access it more readily in a language that is easier for us. One of the, the reading we use this morning, the text we use frequently, is called Peterson's The Message. It's very accessible and is considered one of the versions 
of the Gospels, that is not of the Bible, that is not only scholarly and accurate, but to the degree such things are inspired. I'm of the thought that if we insist, if we insist that Jesus today meets the Jesus of his day, that Jesus then and Jesus now is the same Jesus, then all of these things, most of them allegories, language differences, metaphors, they become flattened. We say Jesus then walking on water has to be the same Jesus now. If we can't walk on water, Jesus doesn't exist. That's not miraculous. That's magical thinking. It turns Jesus from a holy man, from a divine person, from the Son of God, from however you know him in the ways that he is represented in those texts, in the ways that he would have been represented to the people of the time in those narratives. It changes him from a holy man to a seer, to someone who's clairvoyant. Come on, Jesus, do some magic. That's not the way it is. When we think of the text from Zechariah this morning, and we think about what he wrote, I think what we're looking at is an example of just how Jesus works through the prophets of old and through us today. Jesus as a prophet. If you think of Jesus as a prophet, Zechariah as a prophet, what they both saw and what one embodied was that this Messiah was not going to be this Roman warrior up on top of his chariot charging into Jerusalem with all of his badges and medals of conquest and power and might and followed by all of the slaves and the captives that they took and the show of force and power that gave Caesar and others their day. That's not, that's not what they're talking about in terms of Messiah. Zechariah and Jesus. Zechariah saw Jesus on a colt. He saw him on the ground. Whoever this Messiah was going to be wasn't going to come from up there in whatever was. He knew when he wrote that the Jesus that would come, the Messiah that would come by whatever name that Messiah had, would be the one who would bring faith and replace fear, who would bring love and replace hate, who would find a way to carry the burden for others who could not carry them themselves. He would be the one who would be standing next to you, not mounted in a chariot above you, lording over you. And then along comes Jesus, who brings faith, not fear, who brings love, not hatred, who brings peace, challenges peace, not war, who rides in on a donkey, who the people are so wild and excited about around him that they cannot resist but be drawn to him. You know, days before, if not the day before, Lazarus had just been healed, risen from the dead, some say. And word was spreading. And here comes Jesus with Lazarus into Jerusalem. And people are talking. He's the one. That's the one. That's the Jesus. There's Lazarus. Look at He is alive. He is walking. Yeah, and he did these other things. And he... 
and they followed him and they couldn't help it. They couldn't help but surround him because their hopes for faith, their hopes for peace, their hopes for love, their hopes for being able to get through burdens and even to be there to help others get through their burdens, their hopes for being who they were deep inside that they didn't even have a name for, but they knew that they were called to be, somehow made sense, somehow came alive when this Jesus of Nazareth got on that path and headed for Jerusalem. And they gathered around him. I don't care if they had palms, branches from the olive orchards all around them or threw their coats down or whatever they did, but you can hear them, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they didn't get it all. They didn't get it all. Because they still had this idea of king, of this earth and this kingdom. But they were close. And in the end, maybe all that's really important is that we are close. You know, and I have to think about all of that excitement, all of that enthusiasm, all of that going into Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. And then the arrest. What? The torture. What's going on here? The hanging on the cross. Oh my God. The denials that preceded it. No, 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 I don't know him. I, I, I. And then the scattering of everybody. What happened here? The anguish that Jesus knew. My God, my God. The same fear and anguish that people knew. The same fear and anguish anguish that don't we know now and then when we say, how could there be a God? How could this happen? Where is God? God, why have you forsaken us in these times as it appeared that you forsake Jesus in those times? But see, we know more of the story today. We know in this week as we go through and recapture the narratives of those days, we know that this Jesus, this Messiah, will in fact conquer death. We will come to know the stories and the narratives and the teachings that he offered us with the perspective of time, like those who look back at prophets and say, he was right, she was right. And we've had that repeated over and over for two millennia. My question is, when are we going to get it right? How much practice do we need? And my hope is that we're getting closer to getting it right. So that Jesus then, those disciples then, we disciples now who sometimes find ourselves in a place and say, all hope is lost. It's the Easter message. It's the privilege of being in this time and place and looking back and saying, hey, we got it. We know. In closing, I think what we have to remind ourselves 
what I have to remind myself, I'll talk about me, is that this is not magic. This is not about, did that really happen that way? Because if it didn't, the whole thing is lost. This is not magic. Nor is this about empire. Nor should we be afraid of empire when it needs to be shook up a bit. This has always been about the kingdom here on earth that is here now. It has never been about words on paper. It was and it is about preparation for salvation and eternal life. And it is the reminder of those things and that the risen life awaits us all that we raise to a level of consciousness this week that I pray I can remember every day in my own conscious contact with God. It is today, as it was then, in the teachings of Jesus, still about preparation with remembrance. Preparation and remembrance that calls for love, not hate. Calls for faith, not fear. To bring peace, not war. It is about the preparation and the steadfastness that comes from carrying burdens for others who cannot carry them for themselves. And it is about being always in the presence of Jesus within the perspective and needs of our times. I don't live 2,000 years ago. Don't particularly think I want to see chariots charging down East 74th Street. <laughs> There have been days in my youth where I think I did see some, but I, I found out those were not so. But ultimately, it's about bringing Jesus, bringing God and your understanding of God, if you come from a different place, to all those we meet. That's the stones crying out. That's the people being called with their cloaks and their garments and their leafy branches and their palms and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's the joy of Zechariah. That's ours. That's our promise. And if we can find that today, then the revolution, for make no mistake, this is not a change. This is a revolution. If we can find that today, then it continues. And we can see and hear it crisp and clear as a bell. May it be so. Amen. Amen.